Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. And that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to an emergency session of For Future Considerations. We're calling this Double Overtime, Double OT. I'm Manny Pava. As always, the boys are here. Matt Dumichel, how you doing? I'm good. So let's uh, let's paint the whole picture here. So yesterday, Manny goes out on his front lawn with the, with the Kong. <laughs> Podcast assemble. (laughs) We scramble emergency podcast. And John Rashad drops everything. Drops everything. The dog is taking off. He's got a half eaten sandwich sitting somewhere. John, how you doing? Good. It's uh, weird to be up before noon on a Sunday, but here we are. <laughs> we are recording this on a Sunday. Uh, getting ready for more March Madness, too. How, how's your bracket look? You know, my bracket's not good. It's not. <laughs> it's terrible. not good. It's not good. I've got a, a, an office one going, so I've, I started one within some of the people that we work with. There's about 15 people or so, um, and three of them are already done. They're national champion. They had Ohio State, so that one's good and gone. I had. I think I had Colgate making a nice uh, healthy run into the the 16 or the eight that one's gone um i think i've lost one other sweet 16 team already so really good you know we were saying on the last episode that i could not name a single player in college basketball and i am really proving that i have no idea what's happening in these games john did you do a bracket no, I didn't actually. But it's funny because I always pick one really long shot, and I wonder if it would have been Oral Roberts or not. <laughs> Ooh, well, yeah, of course it would have been you, sicky. <laughs> yeah, not only did my bracket my bracket blow up with the losses by Purdue and Ohio State, uh-huh. I lost money. <laughs> it's like a double whammy. Oh man, it's terrible. But the reason we're doing this podcast today is because we have a special guest joining us. Um, This guy started his career in the OHL with the London Knights. He's now a member of the Owen Sound Attack. His father is a former NHL tough guy. Mm -hmm. And following in his father's footsteps, he is considered one of the toughest in the OHL. He is also the player behind a petition calling on the Ontario government to resume play in the OHL. All the way from Slovakia, please welcome to, for future considerations, Andrew Parrott. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. By the way, did you play March Madness or do you have a bracket? No, I I don't. I, didn't, I honestly didn't even know it, like they were doing it until <laughs> uh, someone told me. I was like, oh my God, they're, they're doing that? I'm assuming there's not a lot of coverage uh, in Slovakia of uh, U.S. men's college basketball. No, there's, uh, there's not a lot of coverage of anything that happens back home. <laughs> like the time time zone difference makes it so hard to keep track of anything. The only the only days I can watch even hockey is Saturdays and Sundays because they'll play at 12 or 1 o'clock your time. So then I can watch at 6 or 7 my time. <laughs> Wow. So, so like a five hour difference, right? Something like that. Yeah. How, how has Slovakia been? How long have you been there now? I've been here for about three months, three and a quarter. Wow. I've been here for still adjusting to that. Or how long did it take you to adjust to, you know, we, we joke about the time, but that that's a significant difference, especially when, you know, you're over there playing hockey and your, your body's expected to do things at, at different times during the day that it's probably never done before. Yeah, I adjusted pretty uh, pretty quickly to it. Uh, I think I just had a lot of energy to begin with, just coming over here and playing hockey again, playing some meaningful hockey. So I think I adjusted pretty quickly because of that. So tell us about the team you're playing with and the and the league you're playing in. Uh, so I'm in the Slovak Two League. I'm playing for HK Martin, and it's uh, it's been amazing. The team here has been around for like 90 plus years. So wow. they got like a really like big or like really a big history in the organization. I'm like the third American player to ever come through the organization in the history of like the 90 plus years. So it's been pretty cool. And uh, there's, it's crazy. We got a guy on my team who uh, went to Maple Leafs camp with my father back in uh, 
2006, I think. So I'm playing with someone who went to camp with my dad. It's pretty cool. Uh, I got a couple of guys on the team that speak English. Not really uh, too many. None of the coaches speak English, so that's kind of uh, <laughs> a little bit different. Like they uh, they still scream at me sometimes when I mess up, but this time I just I just don't understand. So it's different. <laughs> So they just point really emphatically where they want you to be on the ice during drills and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's like it's like playing charades. Like they, uh, <laughs> they start screaming and start using their hands to make sure, and then suddenly they just get tired of screaming at me. So they just bring someone over that speaks English, and they're like screaming at him now to tell me what they're screaming about. <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty. It gets pretty interesting sometimes. Do you know any Slovakian right now? I know a couple words, but it's like uh, my parents are going to be very disappointed in me. They're going to like, I've been here for three months and I'm going to come back with only a few words. They're going to be like, like, what did you do over there? Like, like you didn't know anything. I'm going to be like, yeah. Did you get dirt on your dad? Uh, no, I did not. Actually, they, like, it's funny. He went to camp with my dad, but he doesn't, he didn't, he never met my dad. Cause that year, my dad started with the Leafs, but he ended up getting traded to Dallas. So I don't know if they actually met or not, but uh, they they were at camp that year, I'm pretty sure. Is it one of those situations where you've learned to order what to eat and that's about it? Is that uh, That's usually what guys learn right off the bat, right? It's how to get food. Yeah, but I actually have pretty good accommodations. So I'm like at a hotel and they have a restaurant and I get, uh, I get my meals prepared here at the restaurant and go down and they're kind of just ready for me there. So are you playing against other junior OHL guys, like junior hockey age guys? or? Uh, there's uh, been a couple guys that have come over to my league. Uh, Mark Woolley, my defensive partner in Owen Sound, actually came over here and played on Jumene. And we actually just played them in the first round of uh, playoffs. And we got to play against him a couple games before he left. But uh, we swept him, so he left early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, that was fun. And then... Uh, and then on uh, Leviche, there was uh, Keegan Washer, Tag Bertuzzi, uh, Avery Hayes, Justin McPherson. So it's fun. It's fun whenever I get to play those guys because you kind of mess around and go around like, oh, finally someone I can speak English with on the ice. A few words too. So you're looking forward to get uh, getting home, not just to be home and in familiar surroundings, but throw that back in Mark's face, right? Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think Mark really. Uh, he only played the first two games of the series, so he was going home no matter what. So the fact that we ended up sweeping, I don't think really uh, meant a lot to him. Yeah, but I know he's uh, he just got home. He's uh, he's quarantined right now. He's excited to be back, and uh, I'm excited to get back too to see my teammates in the town. How um, how many rounds are there in the playoffs, and uh, where are you guys right now in uh, on your quest to a title? Uh, we're in the second round right now, and there's only three because there are only eight teams make uh, playoffs out of ten total teams in the league. So uh, we're in the second round right now. We play the 24th, 25th, and then I actually fly out. I fly home the 26th. Oh, so you've already got a date. Now, you basically yeah. become a household name in uh, OHL for this letter that you wrote to to the provincial government um, about getting the OHL back on the ice. So how did that come about? Can you explain how that open letter came about? Uh, I, I came I came back to my hotel one day and I was just talking to my teammates back home and they were just telling, like this was back when hockey, you couldn't even skate, like everything was still just completely shut down. They were just telling me how much they like they're struggling and how crazy it's been and i was obviously in their shoes at one point during the whole thing before i came out here and i knew how hard it was but at that time it was i was still like skating practicing so i couldn't imagine just not being able to even touch the ice so i kind of just i just started writing um i kind of my feelings and just how i thought about it but in a productive way into a way that would come off not in an angry way, but it'd be done accordingly and respectfully. And I actually didn't think I would do anything with it. I thought like, Hey, I'm just going to write this and then delete it. And then I actually, uh, I sent it to my mom, 
couple I sent it into my team group chat and I sent it directly to uh, Ethan Burrows, who who I've talked to a lot throughout this, who is one of the players back home that is draft eligible and is missing out because um, we were doing skates with uh, Joey Hish and Skills Corp. And man, he was flying like the f- progression from last year, f- seeing him at those skates. I like, couldn't believe it. Like it was incredible. Like can't even put into words. Like he was, he would have been a huge riser like this year. And I think still will be when we get back on the ice, but uh, yeah, I just sent it to those people and they're like, wow, like you, <laughs> my mom actually was like, did you write this or did like did someone else write this for you? I was like, no, no, I wrote this mom. Don't worry. I wrote it. And, Thanks mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, oh my God, like you actually wrote this like uh, really well, you should think about doing something with it. So then kind of just brainstormed with uh, Ethan, his mom helped a lot. My mom, we kind of just got would call every day to see how to go about this. So I ended up starting the petition with the letter. So I'd send the letter and petition to guys I knew around the league on each teams, actually reached out to guys on teams that I've never even spoken to in my life. Just guys I follow on social media that like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Can you send it into your team group chat? Can you help support it? And I got a lot of great feedback from guys around the league that helped around and it was amazing. So we got 146 players in 24 hours and that was just players. That was nobody else. And I wanted to make sure that it was just players to begin with, to make it more personal, to show that as a collective group that we're struggling, not playing right now and it's hurting us. So then after that, I uh, sent it directly to the provincial government and David Branch gave them another 24 hours to maybe see it, process it, uh talk back to me or something respond back and then that's when i took it to social media and it kind of kind of just blew up from there yeah when did you realize that that this was a big deal like this was beyond you know a a letter and things that you were passing around between players and and things like that that it had reached you know the the upper levels of of not just government but um you know really went across the country uh very very quickly I think when Nick Felingo commented on it, to be honest, I was like, I actually couldn't believe because like, I mean, he's like playing the NHL. He's got his own uh, things to worry about, like family at home. It's just, I didn't realize like guys, even in the NHL are just like paying attention and putting their, like for him to do that and put his name out there for us to help us in any way was just amazing. And just like, really humbling just to see that. And it was, I can't even put into words how cool it was to see someone like him and his stature to comment and share his opinions too. And we also got other guys to uh, retweet and like the tweet as well. Like uh, uh, Josh Brown on Ottawa did it too. And I actually skate with him sometimes in London. And that was pretty cool of him to see that too. Andrew Parrott is our guest here on For Future Considerations. You touched about a lot of things in that letter about, you know, how important this is for young guys who are draft eligible and stuff. You also talked about mental health in your letter and uh, you talked openly about your mother checking in on you during uh, during calls and that sort of thing. So how is not playing in the OHL affected you that way and your teammates for that matter? Well, just... For me personally, uh, last, so my, obviously, uh, my second year in the league, my draft year, uh, didn't go according to plan. Uh, personally, I didn't have a great season coming off a really good rookie year that I thought I had. I had some, I had some hype around me going into my second year and I just underperformed. I didn't do as well as I personally thought I could have done. So uh, last year, going to my third year, I had something to prove and I had a, I thought I had a really good season personally. And I opened back door. I opened doors back up for myself to possibly move on to the next level. So I was just coming off of a really big year for me. And then personally, when uh, last year, when playoffs got canceled, uh, I was a little bit disappointed in that, too, because that's that's my type of hockey faster guys are finishing every hit like everything matters and guys like me that 
would play more of a defensive role, shutting down other teams, top players. Like we usually shine in those moments and for playoffs to be taken away from me was a bit hard, but I understood uh, it was new. We didn't understand anything at the moment and health and safety were top priority. But uh, coming into this year, I was really looking to just keep the moment going from the year previous and just keep opening up doors and keep getting my name out there because that's everyone's goal is to move to the next level. That's why we come to the Ontario Hockey League because it is the best junior hockey league in the entire world, I believe. And so that was just that's just my personal uh, experience. Uh, Guys I've talked to, like uh, Ethan Burroughs, I mean, man, like I said before, uh, at our skates that we've had a few over the over this pandemic summer, he like, I could, he looked amazing, like flying around. I couldn't like we were we were skating with like Joey Hish and Skills Corp, and they're they're NHL players, AHL players out there, and I like you could not tell him apart from like guys that are playing in the NHL making millions of dollars. And I was like, holy crap this kid's going to have a season. So I, I know he was struggling a little bit cause he felt good. He was going to rise. Uh, a buddy of mine, Carter Robertson uh, is an OA in the league. And he had a tournament this year last year too, and wanted to gain momentum in his OA season. Cause guys always get contracts in their OA years. Like uh, for, we had Brady Lyle and our team last year, get a contract uh, put up 60 points in 60 games as a defenseman. And he's killing it in Providence right now. He's their, leading point man as a D man, uh, undrafted free, uh, free agent signing. So just like, I think it's personal for every different person, but each person is, there's a, each person is struggling just in their own way, I think. And then the OHL came out with a statement saying it uh, supports you guys and your desire to drop the puck on a season as quickly as possible. Um, did you talk to anyone at the league office about that statement? And what did you think about it when they made that statement? Uh, I didn't. T- I haven't talked to anyone from the Ontario Hockey League, uh, like league office or anything. But when I saw the statement, I thought it was. I thought it was a positive that they obviously saw the letter, recognized it, and that they uh, are on our side. They do want to get a season back, I believe. And I think the letter put a little bit more pressure in a positive way for them to just help us because. I don't think really before the letter came out, anyone knew how us players were feeling. Like obviously people could speculate that obviously we were struggling, not playing, but there wasn't really anything uh, evidence put out there that we were struggling firsthand. So I think once the letter came out, it really hit home with everyone. Like, wow, like this is, we need to get them back on the ice. Yeah. Have you talked to anyone from the Ontario government for that matter? Have they reached I have not. No, I have not. So, but 2,600 people have signed this online petition. That's that's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. what are what are the players telling you now about the response? What do you think about the response? Uh, I think the response has been everything I've hoped it was. Uh, everyone was very positive with it. All the players, I actually got a couple, like, thank yous from guys I reached out to trying to get the petition around, like, guys saying like, Oh, this is exactly how I feel. Like, thank you for doing this. Like someone needed to do this. And it just, it felt really nice to get approval from my colleagues around the league. Cause obviously uh, this isn't really something you can do without one person feeling the same way and for everyone to feel the same way and be positive with it was, it gave me the confidence to really go forward with it too. Cause obviously putting your name out there with something like this is, scary like putting yourself out there in any situation is scary so to have the confidence to go out there and do this in the back back up from my colleagues around the league was uh was really nice two-part question for you and andrew and uh, again thanks so much for the time for uh, for coming on here and, and doing this and, and telling your story um how how i guess frustrating is the word that comes to mind here but but what are your feelings seeing other leagues across canada playing and the ohl not and uh, what uh, what are you feeling as far as uh, the hopefulness that we're going to hear very soon uh, that the ohl is is going to come back to play uh, yeah, it, it is frustrating to see other guys playing because, um, like I said before, everyone's goal in this is to make it to the next level. So 
a lot of guys, everyone else around the league is playing. They're getting extra time. They're getting scouted extra by guys, uh, getting that extra notice, that extra look that we can't really do anything about. It's out of our control because we're not on the ice. So it's a little bit frustrating, but I am very hopeful that things are going to happen soon. Uh, the government and league uh, recently have put out uh, more statements uh, in regards of the progress and how things are going. I thought it was huge and it was amazing that the government gave us that uh, scholarship money uh, because that is a huge fee in the league every year and guys do need that money if uh, the first goal doesn't work out of making it to the next level. So I, I think I'm very hopeful right now. Yeah, that's huge. And I, I think you deserve a huge round of applause for, for getting to this point. Yeah, you know, they're talking about maybe an announcement before the end of the month. Um maybe mean a short season a 24 game season in a hub or a bubble or what have you um is it worth it is it any season worth it even one that short yeah i think anything's worth it uh, i actually said this to uh an interviewer I, I can't remember who exactly but i said this to someone who asked me that same exact question and uh, a lot of people forget that we're only going to get 24 games and less teams are probably going to make playoffs or won't be eight for sure. It'll probably be four or two or something. Guys are hungry. Like they, they only have 24 games to raise draft stock to make playoffs. Like guys are going to be playing playoff hockey right away. Guys are going to be flying and there isn't, there isn't any, like, oh, there, oh, that guy had a great second half. There isn't any of that this year. That's either you have a great season or you don't because you only get 24 games and you better make the most of it. So there isn't going to be a lot of mistakes out there. Guys are going to be fighting hard right away. It'd make for better hockey. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be a lot better than people think it's going to be without. Because, I mean, guys are grinding right now uh, back home now that they can skate and everything. I've talked to my teammates like it's – crazy guys are going all out right now just doing as much as they possibly can and i know just from my teammates personally like they like we want it we want to make playoffs there's only four teams that make playoffs you only get 24 where we might only get 24 regular season games every team wants that those extra games to help them personally and help the team win just to play devil's advocate there are some people who say that hockey shouldn't be being played right now during a pandemic what do you say to them uh, I health and safety is a top priority. Uh, since this whole thing came out, my stepfather is a heart transplant patient. So he's immunocompromised. So I've taken this as serious as anyone can be. But at this point, every other league, I think in the world is playing right now, other than the OHL. Like, everyone's finding a way to do it safely. Like, I think I just saw the... AJHL just did their third or fourth round of testing with zero cases. I think the WHL didn't have any cases when they did their rounds of testing. Like I, I like guys are finding ways to do it. Even here uh, where I'm doing now, you every week we have to go and get COVID tested. If you test positive, you just you can't play for ten days. So I, there is ways to do it safely, and I think in the grand scheme of things, it actually helps us like it's getting us active it's getting us out of the house it's helping our mental health because sitting at home watching everyone else play is a struggle yeah about the testing and, and things like that that you have to go through right now um what does you know other other than to say what's a day in the life of andrew parrot like right now but uh when you're getting to the rink how are things different how is it done there and and talk about that that testing structure and uh, the things that you have to do uh to uh to make those marks uh, so every week I have to go and get COVID tested. And uh, to this point, I've tested negative, so which has been good. So I've been able to continue playing every week. But uh, so our protocol is if you test positive, you uh, sit out 10 days, no practice, no games. You can't come to the rink for 10 days. You quarantine. And then after those 10 days, you actually don't have to get tested for three months because technically you have the antibodies. So they don't require you to get tested. But uh, when you when you test negative, you just come to the rink. There isn't a lot of people coming in and out of the rink because it's a closed facility. The rink is, I think our rink here is owned by the team. It's not public rink for people just to use. 
So I only see my teammates. We obviously have no fans in the building during game days. It's just media and necessary people to make the game happen. So it's, it's I, I don't run into a lot of people throughout my day that aren't necessary to my lifestyle. And has there been an outbreak in the league at all or have some players missed some time, but nothing major? Nothing. I've only, uh, I think a lot, I think one guy has gotten it since I've been here on the team and then no one even on my team got it. I actually sat next to the guy in the locker room <laughs> who got it. And I, I, I tested negative the next day. So, yeah. Wow. You, your antibodies are working overtime, buddy. Like that, that's great. Yeah. Last few, last few <laughs> questions for our guest, Andrew Parrott. Did you always want to become a hockey player? Yeah, I think it was kind of inevitable for me, uh, just with my father. I think I was always on a pair of skates, but actually growing up, I played uh, football and baseball, and I was actually uh, was actually really good at those two. As a ninth grader, I played varsity football for my high school, so I got to do that. I got a letter, which was really cool. And then uh, baseball growing up, uh, I always played three years above my own age growing up until high school. And I played varsity as a freshman too, for baseball, uh, actually, uh, my rookie year in London. So before my rookie year in London, I quit baseball for two years, didn't play, didn't throw a ball, didn't swing a bat. My rookie year in London, I was doing online school just to, with the hockey and everything. And I was doing it through my school back home in Ohio. And we ended up getting swept first round of playoffs by own sound that year. <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, what am I going to do in my time? Like, this is my off time for hockey. So I was like, I'm going to go back and play baseball for my high school. And I ended up going back playing baseball. Haven't played in two years. Played varsity. I batted above 500. And I ended up being like all, I ended up being like all district or something. <laughs> One of like two, two all-star games for baseball. So I was like, maybe I should just quit and go back to baseball. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you come back in and you're like, guys, this is how it's done. <laughs> My dad always tells me, he's like, he's like, you should throw a baseball just, just in case like hockey, like never works out. You should just always throw a baseball. Cause like ever since I was little, I could always, I could always throw it pretty hard. Like I think, I think when I was like 12 or 13, I, I hit like 78 miles per hour or wow, something wow. like so what position? Were you a pitcher, yeah. or what position did you play? Uh, I played everywhere. Like I was kind of my main position growing up was shortstop. But uh, my last year when I played, when I came back from London, I was kind of like the utility player because uh, we were really short on pitchers. So whoever pitched that game, I would play their position. So if our first baseman had to pitch, I'd play first base. If our catcher had to pitch, I'd I'd catch. If our outfielder had to pitch. I played outfield. Well, the way you're talking about your baseball career, it sounds like you could have played first shorts and center field in the same game at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My uncle was uh, my uncle was always my coach growing up, and he he loves like watching me play hockey, and he thinks like it's amazing what I'm doing. But he always tells me like, maybe you should have stuck out with baseball. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll see where hockey goes first. Then we'll come back to that question. Jack of all trades, Andrew Parrott. What? So, what position of football did you play? Ah, uh, fullback on the offense, and then inside linebacker uh, on defense. Those hockey players—that's yeah. what they do, right? So, how, how would you describe your hockey career to this point? If you've played these other sports, um. I've had, I think I've had some adversity. Like I said earlier in the podcast, uh, my draft year didn't go according to plan. So, but I think that makes me better now because uh, I went through that adversity. I had a hard time. I was coming off a really good rookie year with the Knights and you don't really play a lot as a rookie in that organization. So I was kind of, uh, kind of got a little bit of a big head. I was like, oh, I'm going to my second year. Like, here we go. And then kind of just underplayed, underperformed, took things for granted. And now like I just, every day, I never take anything for granted. Like, cause I can see how quickly things are taken away from you in the game of hockey, just for taking one day off. Like you, you can't take any days off because someone's lapping you, someone's taking that position away just because you took that day off or didn't do that extra rep of something. So I think 
the adversity I've gone through in my career so far has made me a better person and a better player to this point. How did you go to the point um, for yourself, uh, you know, recognizing that you had a great rookie year? Then at this point, you can say, you know, recognizing you got, you got a big head, developed a bit of an ego and, and maybe came to expect things. How did you have that that self-awareness or, or how did you do that self-examination uh, to to recognize that and realize that something had to change? Uh, I think... I think it's just with growing up. Obviously, uh, I had my dad. He helped me a lot with recognizing it because uh, he was telling me like you have to you have to own your you have to own your own things. And if in order to move on to become a better player and a better person, you have to look in the mirror and say like, did you did you do everything you could? Was there things that you messed up yourself? And I had to evaluate my season and why I was in the position I did. Why I ended up sitting in London and uh, getting out of the lineup at one point there. And it was my fault. I I underperformed. I thought my spot was there because of my rookie year. I took things for granted. And as of now, I can honestly look anyone in the eye and say, like, it was my fault. I didn't get drafted because it was I underperformed. I took things for granted. But because I am able to recognize that, no one can tell me now that I take things for granted. And I live every day like it could be my last time playing hockey that's huge man that you can look in the mirror and yeah. say that that that's really big yeah i would imagine there's a lot of people at, at your age and that level that you know maybe it comes to them but to to see it turn around so quickly um like you said i'm, I'm sure your, your dad has had those kinds of scenarios play out or, or seen that play out amongst the the players that he's played with even at uh, the best level but uh, to be able to recognize that i mean that's that's invaluable just in in life not necessarily in hockey yeah yeah and it's uh it's crazy because now that um the situation i put myself in london uh brought me to owen sound i ended up being trade bait uh got traded for kevin hancock for london's run but i wouldn't trade it for the world because now i have a coaching staff that loves me and they let me do my thing and i learned so much from joey hishin alan latang and jordan amazing for my career so far and just elevating my game to the next level and i th- i don't think if i got traded to london i actually i don't think i would have ended up going to boston bruins camp uh that that season and i was fortunate enough to go there and actually uh outperform exceed expectations for myself as a 18 year old undrafted free agent invite to rookie camp uh i actually exceeded everyone's expectations going there and I was playing against uh, guys like Jack Hughes, uh, Victor Olofsson, and I was able to maintain myself and compete and keep playing alongside them. And just to have that confidence after that going into my third year really helped my first half of my going into my third year for sure, too. That was literally going to be my next question about uh, the transition from London to Owen Sound. And uh, you're saying that uh, it's turned out to be a positive. How did you make that adjustment when you first uh, moved from London to Owen Sound? Was that a tough mental transition to make? They're very different markets. Yeah, different cities completely, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of like a small, small town boy myself, though. Like the town I grew up in in Cleveland is like we have no commercial business. We have one intersection like graduating class in high school is like 50 to 60 people every year. So like, I love that small town feel and like the rank and Owen sound people hate it. I love it. I love playing there. The base is place to play. It is like the fans are the best. Like they're, it's so small and tight. Like everything is so loud. You can hear everything and I love it. And obviously, like I said before, the coaches in Owen sound have just been amazing for me. Like, they're honestly the perfect coaches for my type of player and my personality too. Like they're the type of coaches, like you can just, I can call them up right now and you just have a normal conversation, not bring up hockey once just, Hey, how you doing? And it's been amazing. Uh, the transition so far. And I honestly wouldn't change it for anything. I spend a lot of time in that building actually. And I can say when you put somebody into the boards in that building, you can hear it even downstairs. It's amazing how the sound travels in there. Yeah. It's not fun to get hit, but it's fun to hit people. (laughs) Uh, So yeah. (laughs) How often does it get brought up that your father was born in Owen Sound? Like you're playing Uh, in a city where you're. I always, 
I have fan stuff. I always run into someone who went to high school with him or something <laughs> or played hockey with him growing up or lacrosse when my dad played lacrosse growing up. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. But, uh, I also ran into so many people in London that like knew my dad or went to high school. With my dad too. It's crazy. I think that's what builds the rivalry with Owen sound. Cause so like so many people that live in both areas grew up either in Owen sound or grew up in London sound live in london so i think i think it's first fun. goal was with the knights do you remember the goal yeah i do i <laughs> i can't believe i don't know how i was i must have snuck on the ice somehow <laughs> <laughs> this is no it's it's funny because like uh i was on the ice with evan bouchard max jones robert thomas and cliff Boo at the time and i was like uh, like that's the, the one the first thing i always remember about it i'm like oh my god like did i sneak on the ice here like someone else, was someone else supposed to go and i just went like oh my god if i don't score i might get sapped or something like but now like uh uh yeah max jones went to walk to the middle shoot ended up breaking a stick or losing the puck and i just grabbed it shot it i actually didn't know i scored because uh Rob, robbie was standing that front and Man, he's just uh, amazing. So I, I was like, hey, he for sure tipped it. <laughs> I'm like, it's definitely not mine. Like, he found a way to tip it. And then he's like, no, like, it's you. And I was like, oh, my God. Sweet. Who did you score on? Uh, Erie. Do you have the puck? Yeah, I have the puck. Uh, it's at home right now in Cleveland. Nice. So for yourself, and you've mentioned it a bunch of times in, in this interview here about uh, getting to the next level. What does the next level mean to you? Um, have you had conversations with, with NHL teams um, or been in contact, you know, after you mentioned going to, to Bruins camp uh, with them specifically? Uh, during this pandemic, I haven't had much conversations at all. I think t- uh, I think it's a little difficult for them for personally for a guy like me i'm out here in slovakia i'm not really the ice is bigger uh, i can't really play my type of style of game necessarily to to a t uh so i think just for me personally uh hopefully when we get back to the ohl smaller rank uh i can get a little bit more uh traction with them get a little bit more looks but before the season ended in my third year i was i was getting a lot of traction uh, from teams and it was it was nice but obviously uh, you try to put that in the back of the head and just focus on helping your team win and make playoffs because uh, that always tries to tell me and pound in my head that uh, if you focus on helping your team win you'll play a long time in hockey so yeah so how would you describe yourself if an NHL team came to you right now and said how has your game improved how would you describe yourself as a player uh, oof, drill me with Uh, just pretend we're brian burke or something like that i think i think the first thing i think the first thing i would point out is that my type of player brings a winning mentality to a team like my um you see guys that like i try to style my game after guys like jake muzzin brennan dillon uh ben charat on montreal guys like that that kind of are more of in a defensive role that you pair up with an offensive player to kind of keep the keep the back end glued together. You see all these high flying uh, guys. Like I was actually just thinking about this yesterday, watching Colorado, and I like you see all those guys on there that are just amazing. Gerard, McCarr, like that can skate and everything. I watch Ryan Graves to a T because I think he's the glue that keeps that decor together. Just his how good he is at shot blocking, playing physical defensive game. And I just think that is my type of game, like defensive first. You, I can play maybe second unit power play, but more of a defensive, I shut down other guys, top players. Uh, so yeah. And just for me personally, I've been trying to work on my skating and I think my skating has taken huge strides in the past years. But obviously, uh, for a guy like me saying I got to play defense, hopefully one day it's against Connor McDavid. So I got to get a little bit quicker. 
It's pretty fast. <laughs> I, I tell you, it's it's so refreshing to hear somebody uh, that models their game around those types of players as opposed to, you know, the guys that would go into interviews and say, oh, I play like Victor Hedman or I play like Mitch Marner. Oh, oh you do. OK. Uh, inter- interesting. So, you know, I, I don't think if you were to sit in front of a, an NHL executive, uh, many of them say um, Brandon Dillon or Ben Sherratt. But, uh, you know, all of those guys hold, hold incredible value. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at Brennan Dillon, like, for example, I mean, he was traded to Washington when they were going for that run in the playoffs. And, I mean, four mil a year I, doesn't sound like a bad living to me playing <laughs> defense. I don't need any goals if, if you if you give me that money, I can play in the NHL. And I've, like, I'll play, I'll play I've seen you drop the mitts a few times, too. I know you don't, um, you don't fight a lot, but I don't think I've ever seen you lose a fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I lost uh, my fight against Gettinger then rookie year. I lost that one. <laughs> rookie year yeah. doesn't count. Rookie year doesn't count, right? So, wow, every, everything counts. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I mean, obviously the fight rule makes it a little bit harder in the in the league to fight. Really, I think I would have a lot more if there wasn't that rule. If I'm being honest, so you got to really pick and choose. Obviously, there's no stage fighting, or else I think I'd have. A lot more <laughs> if i'm being honest it's kind of hard to find uh fights especially when uh someone gets hit and then you go fight the guy you get an instigator and then you sit in the box for 10 minutes and last year my uh my role for the team with owen sound me and mark woolley were uh kind of our shutdown deep pairing so me and him would match up against uh the team's top line every night so it's kind of hard to pick and choose my spots to really like, uh, if i go there i sit for 10 minutes and you got Connor McMichael flying around the ice doing his thing. It's like, ah, oh, come on. Like who, who but, did you uh, fight in Windsor? Uh, was that Sean Allen? Was no, that was my my Mark Woolley fought him. I fought uh, Curtis oh, Douglas. Right. Like that guy's huge. Yeah. He's six seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's huge. But uh, no, it was, it was a good fight. We actually uh, joked around about it a little bit in the box. Me and him, like. Talking about, it. he's like, "Oh, you got me off, you got me off the grab." I'm like, "Yeah, you're really tall. I kind of had to hold you in there." <laughs> he's like, "He's like, yeah, good point." <laughs> but no, it's, uh, you know, it's fun. Uh, I think, like, uh, obviously, there's huge discussion around fighting and its place in the game all the time. And just with my father, obviously, we obviously it uh, hits home a little bit. I think, I mean. I think there will always be a place for it. Like you need guys out there to pick up for guys or else things can get crazy. Cause the refs can only, in my opinion, can only do so much because with how fast the game's getting, I mean, guys with their stick work, like I think it's important that guy that you have a guy out there that can kind of, uh, kind of settle things down when things get a little rocky out there. And my dad always tells me that one good fight can create courage for your players around around you too. It's not only for you to go out there and fight the guy and be like, Oh, I'm tough, but it also uh, creates courage for your teammates. If they know they got a guy like you on the ice, that's always looking out over them or something. What's the fight rule in Slovakia in the league you're in now? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I, uh, I know if you drop your gloves and that guy doesn't fight you, you get 10 minutes. I learned that the hard way. Oh, <laughs> so your, your, your dad's taught you a few tricks of the trade then, or? Yeah, he, uh, he has a few moves that he's taught me that he tells me not to tell anyone else because it wouldn't be tricks necessarily or his thing, but, uh, no, it's funny. So, uh, a really good friend of mine now is actually Curtis Gabriel and my, uh, our relationship actually goes back to when my dad coached an Owen sound. Um, was the fighting coach uh, Curtis played there and they would work together all the time and stuff. And I was, uh, after my rookie year in London, I ended up staying there and training that summer in London. And he was there also. And we kind of ran each other. He's like, Hey, are you, are you Nathan Paris son? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, your dad coaching on sound. And ever since then, he's kind of uh, taken me under his wing and just been a really good mentor. And uh, after practices, sometimes in the summer, we'll uh, we'll spar a little bit and scrap a little bit. And uh, actually, funny story: the, this summer, this pandemic summer, he uh, goes to a boxing gym, and he like asked me one day, he's like, "Hey, you want to you want to come and like 
uh, you want to come and grapple, like do like fighting stuff. He's like, I was like, yeah, sure. Like whatever. And, uh, so he's like, bring your, bring a Jersey, your shoulder pads and come ready. I was like, okay. So it was me, him, and then Rob Flick, who I don't know if you've ever like, I, we, you know? I know Rob Flick. Yep. Yeah. 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 Like he's six, three, two, four, like 1% body fat. I can't like, <laughs> Just like probably the most in shape person I've ever met in my life. So it's it's me, six foot, two hundred, Curtis Gabriel, six four, two fifteen, two twenty, and then Rob two six three, two uh two fifteen, whatever, just whatever. He like whatever he does. And they start, I'm like, okay, let's see what, what happens. And they just start t- like we're in this padded room, like like walls are pad, and they just start tossing each other around. And I'm like I'm like, I'm like literally standing there with my mouth open. Like, Oh my God, this is, this is what we're doing. Like, this is what he invited me to. They just start tossing each other around. They're throwing each other. Like, I'm like, Holy crap. So I, I'm like, you're like in fight club all of a sudden. I'm like, what did I get myself into? But like, no, nah, I ended up going with Curtis next and it was good. Like he was showing me a few things, teaching me a few things. Like, Oh, if you're in this situation, do this. Uh, it was fun though. Like it's, that's always a, like just something funny. I can always tell people and stuff. Uh, but no, it's it's good. Now Gabriel's Gabriel's fighting uh, Ryan Reeves now yeah. in the <laughs> NHL. Like, crap. Yeah, I know. He better give me some credit for that. Uh, like, yeah, like Andrew Parrott showed me this or something. <laughs> <laughs> so so we are hoping that uh, there is uh, there is good news uh, coming real soon. When we when we get that news, uh, what's your uh, immediate reaction to that? Do you pack up or are you packed up right now and you hop on a plane and and quarantine or or what is the plan um, for I guess the twenty sixth when when you come uh, when you come back? Yeah, uh, so I'm flying back to Cleveland the 26th. Uh, hopefully, before the 26th, and this maybe next week we get some news that'd be uh, that'd be relieving to to be coming back to some news. Obviously, I'm leaving hockey here. Like I could be, I could continue playing out here, at, like without news or anything. But uh, obviously, with the rumors going around of something starting soon, I hope there is news soon because I am leaving meaningful hockey here and I, I really personally don't want to come back if I'm going to miss something here and oh we end up not playing I'll, I'll be pretty disappointed personally so uh, I'm really hoping for news and I know as soon as something is hopefully said I know like guys are just going to erupt with excitement and motivation like I ever I feel like everyone as soon as they see the news is going to grab jump on a bike or something do like a mile or something <laughs> Because guys, guys are just at home checking their guys are checking their phone every hour of every day, just waiting for something to come out. I, I just know it. But uh, yeah, hopefully something comes soon. What would that mean to you, though, that you played a role in the league coming back? It means a lot. But honestly, uh, I had a lot of people help me throughout the process. And for guy, like when I sent my uh, 146 players list to the government and David Branch. Uh, I don't know. I don't think people, when they go on the petition, can see the names exactly. But when I sent it to them directly, they I made sure they could see the 146 names and who they were. Because obviously I couldn't just send 146 names and be like, oh, these are OHL people. Like I had to make sure they knew they were OHL people. They were actually from them. So, I mean, a lot of guys put their names on the line, too. And... Ever since it started, you see a lot more guys sharing their own opinions on social media and coming out and doing stuff and retweeting and commenting. So, I mean, a lot of guys have really jumped on board, too, and it's been a group effort, and it's been really nice to see. How do you think the attack will do once you, once you get back on the ice? I think it's going to be a typical attack year. I think a lot of people are going to underestimate us, but we're going to come out flying and surprise some people. Like, we've kind of been... Well, ever since I got traded, we've been a little bit of an underdog and surprised some people. So I'm really looking forward to it again. So I kind of love that role. Kind of love coming out of nowhere and just surprising people and making people like, wow, like they're 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 playing, they're coming. We better be ready. Well, Andrew, we've taken up a, a lot of your time, um, but man, uh, you were such a great guest. 
Uh, we really appreciate you taking time out. Congratulations again on the campaign to you, to mm-hmm. Ethan, to the 146 other players who were part of this campaign. Um, it, it was great to see. Um, and I know speaking on behalf of Matt and John, and I know they'll chime in here. It was it was just awesome to see that. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, congratulations on on everything, Andrew. Hopefully, uh, we get to uh, uh, to have you on again, and, and we get to talk about uh, the attack season, and uh, and hopefully a, a nice playoff run, and and all of that, and, and then hopefully we get to, to talk to you about uh, where your your future in, in hockey or baseball or football or all three of them or whatever you end up doing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, so I last year at the beginning of the season, we were like in the gym working out and. My coach Alex Latang. I don't know how it even started, but like I was telling my friends, like, yeah, I was a pretty good football player. Like, I I probably could play like, like if I ended up going CIS, I probably could play like for Western's football team or something. I bet I, I bet I could. And they're like, no way you couldn't. And my coach, like Alex Latang, jumped in. He's like, he's like, no way you could play football. I'm like, coach, when I come back two thirty five next year for the season, it's on you because you challenged me. To- <laughs> And he's like, if you come back two thirty, I'm cutting you. I'm like, okay, I'm like, fair enough. Man, I want you to do best on best drills with somebody from the attack. Um, who who would you line up against? Would it be Wooly for football? Yeah, like if if somebody if Alan Latang put a football on the line. You and Wooly on either side. I've, I've played football with my teammates. None of them can even really throw it. So I, I think <laughs> I think I'd have to be quarterback too. <laughs> I wouldn't even play my natural position. <laughs> I, I don't know. It'd be different. Well, the challenges out there, boys, for uh, the Andrew yeah. Parent teammates listening into this. The, cha- the challenge has been dropped. Andrew, this has been great. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Andrew Parrott, our guest here on For Future Considerations. Boys, that was great. That a great story. Yeah, and um, st- this is double OT, remember? So we've got our regular weekly shows coming up. Um, we have our debate show coming up, plus uh, another edition of the OT. Yeah, that's right. So Tuesday, uh, we'll be all getting together and, and uh, chatting, and then we'll be releasing that one right after that. And then, of course, Friday will be the OT. Uh, are we doing a game this week? or What, what the hell yeah, what I think day we'll play is it right now? What, we'll play what's going on? John, uh, how can people get in touch with us? Uh, you can reach us at forfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. Social can- media, yeah, as well. Twitter and Instagram, podcast FFC, and for future considerations on Facebook. So thanks a lot to Andrew Parrott once again. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk to you next time on For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.